So this morning, I want to speak to you about focus, finding your focus, getting your focus back. So we've just been away on holiday. As you know, we've been in Cornwall. And the plan was to go to France. And so we'd booked this camping holiday in the south of France where it is obviously a lot better weather. And camping in good weather is just so much better than camping in English rain. But the day before we were supposed to go to France on holiday, um, we realized that Lulu, our middle daughter's passport, was out of date. So we got the passport out, we looked at it, and our hearts sank. We spent a whole day essentially chastising ourselves, telling ourselves how stupid we were not to check the passports. And then the next day, the quarantine came in anyway. And so we ended up going to Cornwall because we couldn't have gone with the quarantine. Chris and Lizzie wouldn't have had anyone to marry them on Saturday. So we went to Cornwall. And Cornwall is beautiful. In fact, I think it's more beautiful than the French coastline. The only problem with Cornwall is the weather isn't quite as reliable. And so camping in the rain was particularly good fun, as I'm sure many of you have had to do or done things as such this year because of everything that's going on. And when you're camping in the rain with kids, you've got certain options in Cornwall. You can go to the swimming pool, which we did numerous times. Um, you can go to the aquarium, which we did, which was fun. You can go to lots of different places when it's raining in Cornwall. One of our kind of bank places that we all would take the kids in Cornwall when it rained was the local circus, Pablo's Circus, to be exact. And the kids, I thought, loved the circus. And so I was excited when I woke up on holiday and it was raining. Well, I wasn't excited about that, but I was excited because we could go to Pablo's Circus. And I said to the girls, girls, we're going to go to Pablo's Circus. You're going to love it. We get to go to Pablo's Circus again. Isn't that amazing? They said, I don't want to go to Pablo's Circus. I was like, why don't you want to go to Pablo Circus? And they were like, there's no lions at Pablo Circus. Pablo Circus is rubbish. It's not like the circus should be. There's no lion. I was like, well, how do you know lions? Even, lions haven't been in circuses for a long time. And it turns out that there's this Topsy and Tim book, which they always read about Topsy and Tim going to the circus. And there's always a lion in the circus. And one thing that always struck my kids when they read that story about the lion in the circus and looked at the pictures was there was this ravaged lion, this wild lion going at this guy. And this guy's standing in front of this lion and all he's holding is a chair up in front of the lion. And the kids were like, why is he holding a chair? Which is a good question. Why is he holding a chair? Like, if you're faced with a wild lion, the last thing you want to do is use a chair in defence. Really, you want a gun. Or you want something to be able to hit it with. They have a whip, but apparently the whip is really just for show. It's the chair that does the work. So why is holding a chair? Well, this week, I was reading this book, and it was talking about circus lions and wild lions and lion tamers back in the day. And it said in this book that these lion tamers used to hold chairs in front of these wild lions, and they really were wild. It wasn't um, like Tiger King. It wasn't like tigers that had been brought up as cubs and then were as playful as dogs. These were genuine lions that were trying to kill and eat the lion trainer. They would hold up a chair because when faced with a chair, the lion would see four legs protruding out at him or her and would have no idea what to focus on, which leg to focus on, and as a result would be totally paralysed, completely frozen in front of the lion tamer, wouldn't know what to do. And so therefore the lion tamer could entertain the crowd. Now I wonder if any of us going into this autumn term feel a little bit like the paralysed, frozen lion. Because the truth is, there is so much trying to get our attention. There is so much that we could be focusing 
on that if you're anything like me, you don't know what to focus on, what to tackle next, what to think about, and as a result, you're completely paralyzed and frozen. We don't know whether we're going to go into another lockdown. We don't know if we're going to go into another peak. That has so many ramifications for the job that we're doing, for our family life in terms of school, for the youth of our church going back to school, not knowing how it's going to work. Am I going to wear a face mask? Should I not wear a face mask? Is it obligatory or is it just a suggestion? For our students going back to Goldsmiths Uni down the road, are we going to have lectures? Is it just going to be seminars? Should I even come back? Is it worth spending the money? For families sending kids back, can I go back into work? Are the kids going to stay in school? Are they just going to be sent back home? For people who haven't got a job to go back to because already the pandemic has taken its toll on the economy and they've lost their job, what job do I look for? Is there even a job market in this scenario going back into the autumn term? For those of us who have been shielding during coronavirus, is it actually safe to go back? Should I go back? I read this report and it says this thing. I read this report and it says this thing. And if we're not careful as a church, we're going to look at everything going on and we're going to be going back bouncing from one thing to another, and we're going to have no idea what to focus on, and we're going to be frozen. We're going to be paralyzed. We're not going to know what to do. And all of that uncertainty makes us feel anxious, doesn't it? It makes us feel fearful. Some of us makes us feel depressed and down. We don't know what to do. And therefore, we don't know which direction to focus. So the question this morning is how do we unfreeze? How do we refocus? What do we focus on? How do we find our focus again? And the passage I want to use to answer that is in Romans. So Romans, and we're going to go from chapter 11, verse 33, and go through to 12, verse 2. So that's Romans chapter 11, and verse 33, through to 12, verse 2. So this is Paul writes this letter and it starts like this with a worship song. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and to him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then he says... Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his perfect, and his pleasing will. His good, his perfect, and his pleasing will. So what's the context of that passage? Well, essentially, chapters 1 to 11, Paul has explained in his letter the vast story of God's redemption of humankind. He's talked about what it was like in the garden. He's talked about what it meant for sin to enter the world, for humanity to go in on itself and therefore lose what the identity that they had in God as a result and everything that had. He's talked about Israel and all that the law meant. And then he's talked about Jesus crucified on the cross, resurrected 
on the third day and all that that means for us as Christians. And you get a sense at the end of chapter 11 that it just becomes too much for him. He can't hold it in anymore. I'd like to think that Paul just becomes overcome with the presence of God. And when you become overcome with the presence of God, all you can do is worship. All you can do is pour out praise to God. All you can do is say how incredible he is. And so that's where we join this passage to where Paul, it just gets too much to him and he worships God. And after he's worshipped, he says, therefore, in view of all this, here's what you do. Here's how you get your focus back. So how does this help us in this time of uncertainty where there's so many different things to focus on, where it feels like we can be like the lion in front of the lion tamer. We don't know which leg to focus on. We've become paralysed, frozen in our direction. Well, here Paul gives us our focus as Christians. So what do we need to focus on? Well, verse 2, it says this, then you will be able to test and approve God's will. What do we focus on? God's will. As Christians, what do we always focus on? God's will. What is it that you're doing, Lord, and how can I follow and be obedient and join in? What do we focus on? We focus on God's will, his plan. He has a plan in this chaos. He has a plan in this uncertainty. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for this community. He has a plan for this city. He has a plan for this will. What are we to focus on? God's will. What is the will of God? What does it look like? Well, it's always to bring heaven and earth back together again. The purpose of God is that his kingdom come. The way it's described in Genesis is that Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God in the Garden of Eden and they were to take out that presence of God to extend the boundaries of the Garden of Eden out into the chaos of the world and bring order. They were to bring the presence. They were to be presence and power carriers of God out into the chaos of the world. What does it look like for Israel? Israel was supposed to be the light to the nations. They were supposed to point people back to God after the fall and enable people to get back into relationship with God, to get their focus back. What was it like for Jesus? Well, the focus of Jesus is best summarized in the Lord's Prayer, where he says, on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Get our focus back. In heaven, there's no COVID. In heaven, there's no job losses. In heaven, there's no racism. There's no refugees waiting to know if they can get in the country. There's no more tears. There's no more mourning. There's no more suffering. There's just the presence of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's the will of God. And we're to get involved with the will of God. Notice that that's the assumption, but why is it that we don't necessarily see that? Why is that so hard to see when we open up the news on our phones? Why is it so hard to see when we look around in our community? Why is it hard to see when we look at our church family and we see the way that COVID has created all of this uncertainty, people that have lost their jobs, people who have lost loved ones, people who are fearful about coming back? Why is it that it's hard to see? Well, there's an assumption here in this passage, which I think is the beginning to us being able to refine our focus, to find our focus again on God's will. And the key here is in verse two. Paul says, he doesn't say, um, don't be conformed, be transformed by the renewal mind, so that you can see God's will happen, so you can watch it. So you can see it over there and you can applaud it happening. You can see it over there and go, I know God's at work because I can see it over there. He doesn't say that. He says, so you can test and approve. So you can test 
and approve. When you test something, you actually try it out to see if it works. When you approve something, you've seen it happen, and then you go, that's brilliant, it's actually happened. We have to step out in faith and try and act in obedience on what we feel like God's asking us to do, and then we see the will of God. A better translation of that would be, then you can join in. If we don't conform, if we're transformed by the renewing of mind, then we can join in with the will of God, which is good and it's perfect and it's pleasing. It's not watching it as a third person and applauding, it's joining in. So why does it feel like sometimes we're not seeing it happen around us? Well, perhaps it's because we need to step out into the will of God. We need to listen and then step out and see it happen. We need to test and we need to approve his will happening around us. So here's the key question for us this morning. How do we join in? Because it's hard, isn't it? When our focus is on so many different things at once. How do we join in with the will of God? Well, it starts, Paul says, in verse 1 of chapter 12, by not, chapter two, um, verse 2, sorry, of chapter 12, don't conform to the pattern of this world. So what's the pattern of this world? Well, essentially, he's explained all this in chapters 1 to 11. The pattern of this world is sin. What's a good definition of sin? It's a life turned in on itself. It's a life of self-pity. It's a life of only thinking about me, myself, and I. It's a life focusing wholly on how am I going to be able to get through this? How am I going to be able to come out of this unscathed? How am I going to be able to fix things so that I'm going to be okay? It's a life focused in on itself. Itself. And what that results in when there's so much chaos and there's so many different things to focus on is that people start blaming other people for things. People start being selfish. People start acting in their own interests and not in the interests of others. And we see this all over the news, don't we? The pattern of the world at the moment really is a blame game. How can I get away with everything that's going on, the decisions I'm having to make, and they seem to be failing because it's so much chaos. I know I'll blame that person over there. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. Why aren't they doing this? They should be doing this. And we turn our life in on itself and we play the blame game. If we want to see the will of God, if we want to find our focus again, we don't conform to that pattern. We don't conform to the pattern of the world. Instead, Paul says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Be transformed, he said, by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is metamorphosis. This is where we get kind of this idea of metamorphosis from a butterfly. So a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly, like it becomes this glorious creature from this little worm, hairy worm, transforms into who it was created to be. It's the same word that's used with Jesus at the transfiguration when the disciples are there and they see him in his reality and he's transformed, metamorpho. He's transformed into the likeness of God. We see him as the image and likeness of God for the first time, who he was created to be and it's in that state that we have our minds renewed and in the sense of this in Romans in the sense of it in the New Testament as Christians when we're transformed we have renewed minds we have the mind of Christ so we don't conform to the pattern world instead we have the mind of Christ and when we look at the mind of Christ we realize that Jesus is constantly enacting the will of God your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does he do that? He says he only does what he sees his father doing. He's obedient. He's perfectly obedient to what he feels like God's saying. He's got this laser-like focus on bringing the kingdom of God, heaven, all around him. Now that's all very well and they're powerful words and they're incredibly... Um, incredible words to live our lives by but how do we actually do that? Where do we start? 
Because if we're honest, when we've got this lack of focus, when all of this uncertainty is going around, the kingdom of God is obviously needed in everything that's going on. But where do we focus? The kingdom of God is huge. There's problems left, right and centre. There's things that don't look like heaven left, right and centre. Where do we start? What are we supposed to be giving our attention to? Because we know we've got finite resources and energy. We can't give our attention to everything. It feels like there's the potential, even in enacting the will of God, that we become like the lion again and we paralyse and we're fearful and we become frozen because there's too much to focus on. So what is it we're supposed to do? Well, Paul says the whole point of this process, the whole point of being able to enact and test and approve the will of God starts with worship. It starts with worship. If we want to refine our focus, what do we do? We worship. If we want to know and test and approve the will of God, what do we do? We worship. What does that mean? Well, it It does mean singing. It starts with singing. That's what the doxology is all about. Basically means glory. He's overcome with the presence and the glory of God. He can't help but sing. Why is singing important? It doesn't have to be singing. It could be reading. It could be praying in prayers of praise. Why is that important? It's because it reminds us of who God is. Listen to some of these lines. The depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We need the wisdom and the knowledge of God in these days of uncertainty. How unsearchable his judgments, how his paths are beyond tracing out. What's the point of that whole doxology? It's that God has all of this in control. He is above and beyond everything that is going on and he has a plan. It starts with worship. It starts remembering who God is. And then it, begin, it continues on in terms of remembering what God has done for us. So straight after that, he has this praise song. He sings this song of praise. And then he says, therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, chapter 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because God, this unsearchable, how unsearchable is judgment. He is the most incredible God in the entire universe. Everything is from him and through him and for him. And God became man. He became Jesus, a battleship squeezed into a thimble. And he lived among us and he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. And he was resurrected in the third day so that he could give us life so that that sin that life turned in on itself could be forgiven could be removed so that we're spotless we're blameless so that we can then join in with bringing heaven and earth what we were created to do in the first place starts with remembering who God is it continues remembering what Jesus has done for us on the cross and then the key thing is what's our response our only response in that moment our only response in view of God's mercy is this Verse 2. Oh, sorry, verse 1. He says this. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If you've done any reading in the Old Testament about the temple where um, the nation of Israel used to come to worship, there's stages in the temple. There's the outer courts where it's about the praise of God. It's about lifting up who God is and his character traits. And then there's the inner courts where they make the sacrifice, which essentially is mirroring what Jesus was about to do on the cross. And then there's the inner sanctuary. There's the holy of holies where the priest goes and he meets God face to face. And when you meet God face to face, your only response really can be is, God, I offer you my life. I give you all that I am. Notice how that's the opposite to sin. Sin is a life turned in on itself. True, proper worship is a life offered to God as a sacrifice of praise in service to him. 
This is why Jesus says strange things in the Gospels, like take up your cross and follow me. Die, and then you'll find life. In fact, he, let's, let me read it. This is Matthew. He says this. He said to his disciples, Matthew 16, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever, wants to, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. If we want to find our focus, we have to sacrifice, we have to offer our lives in sacrifice to God, turn our lives back out into kingdom mindset, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which seems to not make sense unless you know the entirety of the gospel because it doesn't end in death because out of death follows resurrection. Resurrection always follows death. That's why Jesus is saying there, if you deny yourself, if you give your life, you'll find your life. If you make it all about you, you won't find fullness in life. But if you give it, you'll find it. Paul explains it like this in Romans 8, verse 11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, he says, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have a purpose. We have a will. We have something to focus on. This is what it is. It's not to the flesh to live according to it. It's not conforming to the pattern of the world. Instead, you need to live, if you live to the according to the flesh, sorry, he says you'll die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you live. Here's what living looks like. And here's my prayer for us as we go into this new term as St. Peter's Church. This is what living is. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. You're not paralyzed. You're not frozen so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship, into daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, we have this intimate relationship with God and the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, that we're heirs. We're heirs of God, we're co-heirs of Christ. We join with him to see heaven come on earth. I um, came back this week and... Um, I'd obviously not looked at my emails whilst I was on holiday or looked at messages and stuff like that and, and done any work and came back this week and opened my emails and looked at my messages on Monday and straight away felt paralysed. Straight away felt like there's so many different things I have to focus on here. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to look at. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to look at, give my attention to first. And I was just like the lion. It felt like I was focusing on 20 things at once and I was paralyzed. I did nothing. In fact, on Wednesday, I spent the whole morning looking at my inbox, going to emails, starting to reply, realizing I didn't really know what to say anyway, putting it into drafts, going to the next. I ended up with more in my drafts folder than I did to reply to in my inbox. And it completely paralyzed me. It meant I wasn't able to focus 
on anything. But there's one thing I had to do, and it was to talk to Phil and Caroline about restarting home. So if you don't know, home starts again this Wednesday. And um, we're going to have the breakout room with Kingdom Culture, which Andrew will run. So do come along back to home. Home's a brilliant thing to do. The link's on the website. Anyway, I had to come and tell Phil and Caroline that we're going to restart home. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to talk to them. But I thought, I can't come over to church because the food bank's happening. I love the food bank. And when you come, it's full of life. But when you've got lots of things to do, you can't move more than two meters through the church without talking to about 20 different people with face masks on. And the problem was I needed to get one thing done and go straight back and get on with my tasks and all these emails to put into draft folders again. And so I thought, I really can't do this, but I had to go. So I walked over. And before even getting into the church door, I was met at the front by Caroline. And Caroline was talking to this lady and her son who had come to the food bank in order to be able to make use of the social supermarket and I realized they were having uh, quite a deep conversation and I joined in to introduce myself and I said how are you doing how's things going and instantly she burst into tears and she started talking about a pain that she had in her stomach and a pain in her back and everything that had been going on as a result of COVID and she was with her son and the son was going back to school and he felt uncertain and fearful about everything that was going on and I said well have you been prayed for knowing that they had because Caroline was there and she was like yeah Caroline's just pray for us and I said would you mind if we pray again and so we prayed together and we prayed for healing and the sense of God's presence just fell on us as a group as we were praying for healing and Caroline Caroline and I started having words for her and her son words about her being a joy bringer about bringing joy into everywhere every place that she goes the son about the incredible wisdom that he carries and his ability to be able to make complex things simple and help his friends in many different ways. And as we're sharing these, I'm crying, as we're sharing these words for these, the, the lady starts crying and the son's literally like, he starts pacing up and down. He goes, we've got to go to this church. We need to find out how do we go to this church? Where do we go? Like, is it happening on Sunday? He's trying to get to church. The sense of God's presence there. And then I came away from that and I did speak to Caroline about home. And I went back to my house and I sat down and I just felt overcome with God's presence. And I felt him say, take your focus of everything that's paralyzing you. Focus back on my will. Because when we focus on God's will, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Turn your life back out. Focus on what he's doing right in front of your eyes. How do you do that? Well, sometimes God will just kick you into it like he did with me on Wednesday. But if we're really thinking about it, the best way to do that is to worship. Start by worshipping. Invite his presence. Invite him into the next hour. Invite him into the next afternoon. Invite him into Monday. Invite him into your week. Ask him what his will is. What is your good, your perfect, your pleasing will? Give me your mind. Renew my mind, Lord, so that I can live it out and find life again and refine my focus.